CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is sponsored by Continue Magazine, a gaming culture magazine about gaming of all types and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store. Welcome to The Tome Book Club for July and August 2012. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. And in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related novel, spoilers be damned in full book club style. Our book for July and August was Skeen of Shadows by Marcella Rockwell. And joining us for this conversation is our returning champion, Andy Meyer. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's worth noting that we skipped a month of the book club in July. We started, we planned to start splitting the book clubs in half, reading half one month and then the other half the next. Uh, and thus allowing us to have more in-depth conversations. This was our first try, and unfortunately, uh, some stuff in real life reared up and uh, made it so there was no way we could do a book club at the end of July. But we're back now, and we're going to keep trying this whole splitting it up thing and see if that allows us those good in-depth conversations. Um, And we're going to start it off with our next book, which is The Complete Kobold Guide to Game Design. We're taking a break from fiction, and moving into uh, trying to up our game as as game designers, and, and I feel like every DM is a is a little bit game designer, right? And so I think it should yeah. be good for any player of D anD. d This was originally split up into three books, uh, and we're going to go ahead and, and just split it right in half. So we'll I assume end up somewhere about halfway between um, volume two of the original three books, which brings us right to by my count page one hundred and eighteen. Uh, is where what we'll finish by the end of September, and then we'll finish up the rest of the the book in October. Sweet. And we we haven't arranged it yet, but I'm I'm positive Wolfgang Bauer will be willing to come on and talk to us about it. I think so too. He's usually pretty up up for those things. So we'll we'll hope you'll uh, join all of us for the book club. Uh, and if you want to get into the discussion uh, with us the way Andy has done a few times now, uh, you can shoot us an email at the Tome Show at gmail.com. We'd love to include you. And before we jump into our book talk for our first ever Eberron book, we need to thank our sponsor, Continue Magazine. Uh, I've rather enjoyed the first two issues as I've looked through them and read them myself. Um, it's a quarterly magazine, and I think you guys would, would enjoy listening to uh, reading them as well. Uh, it's about all facets of gaming, of all types of gaming, and you can check them out over at continuemag.com. And if you like what you see and decide to get a subscription or buy a few magazines, make sure you tell them that The Tome Show sent you, because uh, then maybe they'll keep, come back and keep sponsoring us. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. Awesome. And now let's talk about Skin of Shadows. All right. So Skin of Shadows is – it's an Eberron book. I've never read an Eberron book before. This is my first ever Eberron book. My Eberron cherry has been popped. Wow. 
It is my <laughs> second Eberron book, but uh, I, I read the uh, prequel to this one right before it. Okay. So I'm in uh, the similar boat there. Right. And Tracy, what's your experience reading Eberron books? Uh, I think I read a few. I've read some by Keith Baker. So. Uh-huh. Right on. He, With he, pixie sticks. And... He, he knows a little something about Eberron, right? Yeah, I was pretty sure that's what I read. <laughs> but the one I read was much different than this one. Well, I, th- I think that's one of the things about Eberron uh, and the uh, novels based on Eberron is that no- nothing is canon. And so each author can sort of go their own way with it and use the setting in whatever way they want to use the setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they can come off feeling very different and like almost like they're being told in different worlds, even though it's all Eberron. Because nothing's canon, and so nobody has to worry about ruining anything. Right. And I think this one also has the uh, added differentness of um, being tied to the video game, the Dungeons & Dragons online video game. Right. Uh, and being in Zendrick, which is not in sort of Eberron proper. Right. Yeah, because I'm checking right now, and the ones I've read before, the Thorn of Braylon series. Mm-hmm. The Queen of Stone and Son of Kyber and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I think we, we had a review of those. Uh, Jeff Wynn, I think, did a review of those on the uh, show. Mm-hmm. Um, they sounded good to me. It's just finding the time to read them, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, these books certainly uh, made me more interested in hunting down some of the other Emerald books. Did they? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I yeah. enjoyed the uh, flavor. Now, now tell me, uh, how, wh- where is the, f- is the, previ- the previous book? Is Shardax? Yeah, the Shardax, yes. Is that book set more in sort of Eberron proper? Uh, no, that one starts out in Zandric. Well, I guess, yeah. It, it, start, it starts out in Zandric and then moves to Eberron proper. Okay. About um, not quite the halfway point. So it kind of does the opposite of what book, this book does. Because this book starts in Eberron proper in Corvair. Uh, and then sort of does the Indiana Jones thing of we're going to do the red line on the map. And stopping at various dots along the way and having a couple of adventures and moving the red line a little bit further and on our way over to Zendrick. Exactly. That's yeah. sort of how I, how I envisioned it. Is it like the Muppets traveling by map? <laughs> I, I didn't hear any music during the traveling. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, but yeah, and so this book starts in Corvair and then moves to, to Zendrick. Which, I, I mean, the Zendrick tie, I think, is what ties it to uh, D&D Online. Because that's where, as I understand it, that video game is based. Although I don't play the video game, so I can't speak too um, too authoritatively on the subject. I played it for about half an hour. I yeah. don't get much more authoritative than that. <laughs> I never tried, never tried it. Okay. So what do we think of the book? Overall, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I liked it too. Uh... I think I do wonder if I missed a little bit because I hadn't read the book before uh, yet. So, and I think that's how she got gets her special weapon, and and maybe we, do we meet the sister in that one? Um, actually, she does have her her shard axe at the beginning of the um, the first book. Oh, okay, she does. Okay, she does it. Um, what she gains in that book is uh, honorary status as a dwarf. Oh, okay. Um, I did. I did feel like um, there was stuff that happened in the first book that that is referenced heavily in this book. But I also felt like um, Skeen of Shadows pretty well, you know, beat on those issues pretty hard 
to the point that I, I felt like I, I knew what was going on and I almost had too many, too many explanations of, you know, how many times are you going to tell me you're an honorary dwarf? Like, I got it. Right. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it's the same feeling I got when we, when we read the Sword of the Gods mm-hmm. um, second book and I hadn't read the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not essential reading, but it does fill in a lot of gaps. And, 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 and yeah, I did, did spend um, a little bit extra time rehashing some of that and and no we did not see uh, ned's sister in the first one okay okay and and the, the opening of this book um started off weird for me because it, it the the i don't even know if it was chapter one or if it was like the the forward or the the, it was the uh, prologue the prologue yeah um that starts off actually with the sister what's her name uh tilda yeah uh, that, that's her nickname yeah yeah so it starts off with tilda and dealing with her sort of adventuring party and what they're doing and, and at one point, talking about how much our main character is, is a horrible person, like how much Tilda just just hates her. Uh, what is it? Sabira? Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. So just talking yeah. about how, how horrible Sabira is. And then, and, and, you know, going into it blind and not knowing who was the main character and who wasn't, then when chapter one happened and it flipped and suddenly Sabira was the main character, it took me about a chapter and a half to, to, to realize I'm not supposed to dislike her. <laughs> you know, I, I bought into the stuff that Tilda was saying and I, I kind of didn't like her. Yeah. But don't, don't you think that was the effect she was going for, the, the writer? It may have been. I mean, but I, mean, I also feel like, I mean, I imagine you didn't have that experience because you, you knew she was the, that Sabira was the main character because you'd read the previous book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember uh, overly hating Sabira at the beginning. I just felt it was different uh, perspectives on people, which I tend to think is pretty is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it breaks sometimes, I think, out of how a lot of uh, novels and particularly fantasy novels are written. Oh, sure, and I don't I don't mind different perspective. It just that was sort of my experience re- reading through it is that um i st- i was introduced to sabira for the very first time and i kind of thought of her as the bad guy because the only perspective i had was tilda's right and, and from tilda's perspective she is a bad guy she right. you know tilda believes that sabira literally killed almost literally killed her brother by you know, standing by and doing nothing mm-hmm. on purpose yeah although later on we discover just how depraved and messed up tilda is to the point that we realize that she has no authority to call anybody good or bad <laughs> Although I kind of wonder how much of that had to do with the artifact attaching to her and how much pre-existed. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. I was going to ask you which ones you meant because, yeah, it is interesting. Well, yeah, I do wonder how much of the artifact infects her versus brings out something that was underneath the surface already. Right. I would imagine the resentment was was still that was there pre-existing. Right. But to the to the degree that she had such hatred for everyone that I'm not sure. And there's some interesting stuff with Sabira and her position in some of the houses. Cause they talk about the prophecy, right? And it's the two houses at the beginning. I'm forgetting the name, which ones they are. Uh, oh. She's from Deneath. Right. But she's also, it's like stone and something uh, else. Kundarak, which is the dwarven one. Right. But there was a part, I think, I thought, where it was she wasn't really part of it because something with her mother, but she was kind of part of it. I don't know. Oh, that, that was um, Tilda, right? Oh, that was Tilda. Okay. Yeah. T- yeah. Tilda, who, whose mother 
married out of the house against the house's wishes, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so uh, Ned and uh, Tilda were, were not legally part of the house, I guess. And, and Tilda, I think, always sort of resented that. It was the impression I got. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and there was a lot of um, in that early those early chapters on as they were traveling to get off of Corvair to go to, to Zindric. There was a lot of sort of little stops along the way, and introducing aspects of the the setting that that I think were interesting, but I don't know how much they further the plot for me. Right. You know, once they got once they got to Zindric, uh, and the party really started to form up. Um, I, I, I was hooked and I was in, but those first few chapters of just sort of traveling through Corvair and stopping here and, oh, there's these guys hunting you down over there. And and I guess that kind of came back to play up, but there was this whole, um, um, what guild leader or house leader or whoever he was that was, uh, that was sick. Uh, what was it? Halfling maybe? Yeah. The, the head of the, um, of the Seekers, not Seekers Guild, but the, the Wayfarers the Wayf- Foundation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of felt like there was this whole B plot, and um, I, I kind of expected it to to pop up and become a thing later on, um, and it kind of a little bit did, but not as much as I kind of expected it to. Yeah, it was almost it was almost like they had to keep creating ways why she would have this small ragtag band of uh, misfits, basically almost, mm-hmm. uh, rather than thirty well trained soldiers like mm-hmm. Tilda had going in. Sure. And and they also, um, I mean, they they slowly build a party, mm-hmm. and almost as as quickly as they slow as they finish building the party, they start killing off party members. I've never seen so many characters die <laughs> in in one book. They it's either like, die or they just go home right away. Or they just, or they, yeah, they get hurt and go home or whatever. Yeah, and Ugh. so and some of them were like. Um, you know, it was like, oh, I was just getting to like that character and they're gone. <laughs> it's like, oh, I kind of hope there's another book so I can find out, you know, more about those characters. I really like the Warforge characters. Uh, Jester, yeah, I was going to say. That Jester was and, and, and Grisarm, I thought were really fun characters, but Grisarm was barely with the party. Yeah. That, that, that was a very interesting uh, build up and, and, and chop down. Well, and, and you notice that they almost ended up leaving the party in the same order that they joined. Yeah, except for the Warforged, I think you're right. Because so, um, Jester was the last one to join. Jester was the last one. Um, but at the end, the the final two members of the party were the same as the first two members of the party. Yeah. And I, I'd really love to hear more in general about the Warforged, because I thought, I thought explore, exploring those issues and how, the, like, the, the group that basically came to to kill the one uh, Warforged because they thought he had hurt someone. Mm-hmm. One of the... Was it a human? I forget. Mm-hmm. One of the people in the town. A fleshy, like, a fleshy person. Yeah. It, it was a, a human uh, teenage daughter. Yeah. Born, I would imagine. And, and um, yeah, that, that, that seemed... Uh, seemed a pr- pretty good play on, um, you know, discrimination and... and and so yeah. forth, because you know, they, yeah. they they accused him simply because he was the closest Warforged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and when, when the book hit, like being my first Eberron book, when this book explored some of the big general themes of Eberron in that way, I was hooked and wanted more of it. And then there were other areas where it went into in-depth parts of the setting that I wasn't as interested in. It's like, but I really want to hear more about this other thing, you know, but, you know. 
I guess there, re- there could be another reader who uh, was more interested in that. Other Ab- thing. Absolutely. There could have been. Hmm. I also found it interesting that this, um, this book deals with, I guess what, what we would call the, the Eberron version of the Underdark mm-hmm. um, and Drow, but not Eberron style Drow, more traditional style Drow. Yeah. The underground, yeah, well, it, the underground spider worshiping drow. Yeah, it is part of the um, rise of the underdark. I was wondering how the, much how much of a, a connection that, that she had to that. Yeah, and, and I was afraid when I had heard that 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 they were going to do one of these. Oh, these are drow from the Forgotten Realms, and and do a whole cross thing. And I really don't like it when they do cross things like that. Well, but I, I was glad that I was happy to to see that they were. While more traditional drow, they they were still Eberron's drows. They they weren't drow from some other planet. I'm I'm not entirely sure that that's true either, though, Andy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they aren't Forgotten Realms drow um, that have just been there for a while, and you're not going to get the rest of that story unless you go play the game. Because uh, the impression the impression I got from Gen Con was there was going to be some big event going on in in Zendrick in the DDO game that was going to lead them into the latest update, which is tied to rise of the underdark and going to have them dealing with Loth and, and, the, and forgotten realm style drow. Okay. That, that's probably where I got it from that. So, and, and if that being the case, at least, uh, this author, um, Miss Rockwell, Mrs. Rockwell, mm-hmm. at least she didn't hammer on that. Yeah. No, that it, it, it certainly, it certainly, w- it certainly wasn't evident that these are forgotten realms drow. They just yeah. fe- they just felt like a different style of drow in Eberron. but they certainly seemed like Loth worshiping drow, even though Loth was never called Loth. Right. You know, they kept referring to the she, mm-hmm. which is their sort of spider goddess queen thing, mm-hmm. but, but we never really find out what the she is. I, there was a lot of things that that I feel like I wonder, and I, well, I guess we'll find out about this in the interview, right? Uh, but I wondered how much of what was going on was her introducing things that were going to be relevant in the game because this is supposed to be a game a game tied in book, right? And things that we'll never see played out in, in novel form. Right. Uh, that, yeah, that would be especially considering that nothing's canon in, in Aberon. Mm-hmm. Nothing's canon in Aberon, but her stuff has to be canon with the with the video games, right? So, yeah, it, since it, since once he wanted it to be part of the, the whole um, right. theme, basically. Mm-hmm. So there is the tower too, right? That they go to. The who? The tower, I thought. Which tower? I don't know. <laughs> well, they the, went to the, the Shard, the city of towers. Right. Early on, yeah, yeah. yeah early on. That's where they met, um, was it Gredark, the dwarf, the artificer? Yep. And dealt, yeah. with, dealt with the whole Wayfinder thing and his enemies coming back to haunt them. and Actually, her enemies. Oh, was it her enemies? Okay. Yep, her, her enemies from the first book. And, and not the one I expected to see return. Oh, okay. Yeah, so those were the parts that I had a hard time with because I didn't know the setting that well. And right. there was like a lot, as as um, Jeff was talking about earlier, there was a lot of things that were just kind of thrown at you. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily always have a firm grasp of where we were. That's that's the exact section that I was referring to when I said I was struggling with some some being given a lot of detail that I didn't, there, that I didn't necessarily want, but not giving the detail, getting the setting detail I wanted. Because right? there was a cavern with the uh, with the webbing, right? That they walked across, I thought. In Sharn. Yeah. Maybe I don't remember. That was a long time ago. 
No, the, the cavern with the, with the webbing would have been in Zandrek once they got under the desert. Okay. That would have been my guess, but mm. it was two months ago since I've read the first part of the book, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the difficulties. So we, we've talked a lot about that stuff, though. Um, what about the Zendrick parts? How, did all, how was all that? The trek across the desert was kind of fast. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was eventful. I, I, I kind of enjoyed the, the concept of the dragon fight and the way they def- managed to get away from the dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, they did not defeat the dragon. They melted the sand into glass to slow the dragon down because it would have to break through the, the glass to get to him. To it, and, right. and so they managed to give them a chance to run away. Yeah. yeah so that, that, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it, it was it was a little weird to me at times when it's like, okay, we're finally going to get there. Oh, there, we have to stop somewhere first. Mm. Uh, thing, uh, that, you know, like. Yeah, that, that would be um, one of those things like Jeff was saying where I wanted to learn more about the, the Dijian mm-hmm. that ruled mm-hmm. that one village. And everybody seemed to know him and have an opinion on him, but you know that that went by in three pages, and you didn't learn anything else. Well, and that was one of those things that I wondered if it wasn't pulling in some setting details, or maybe something from from the game, connecting it to that larger setting that's been established, and then moving on. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I agree. The concept of a of a gen who's trapped, who, who's sort of the ruler of 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 a town, or I don't know, an oasis, but can't leave the oasis, um, is an interesting concept. Yeah, and I also like the stuff back in in Stormreach, um, you know, robbing the the library and dealing with all of that, and and like we mentioned, uh, figuring out the whole Warforge thing and bringing them to in. Um, I thought there was a lot of interesting things going on in Stormreach. Agreed. Um, the the first book started out in Stormreach, and mm-hmm. uh, also had some setting setting stuff along those lines that um, like. Uh, encouraged me to be more interested in the setting. Mm-hmm. The uh, the trip down into into the into the underground, then uh, looking for what was, they were trying to find Tilda, right? Um, yep. And figure out what was going on. Although it te- turns out it was for some of her employers anyway. It was probably more about finding whatever artifact Tilda had had bumped into. Um, that sort of power play for the new weapon, the arms race, the arms race of Eberron that's always ongoing. For the head of the house, right? Um, that was all. I mean, that was that was the moment when it was everybody dropping off like flies, people dying all over the place, uh, event after event after event, while people were were dropping off. Um, I enjoyed the bit like when they were crawling through that tiny little crawl space, and she was in the darkness, and suddenly heard somebody t- speaking her voice. Mm-hmm. But nobody else had that reaction. Speaking her name, right? It, it was yeah. That's what I meant. Thank you. Um, it, it was one of those situations where I'm like, oh, it was one of those really interesting things, and I and I didn't figure out what was actually going on uh, until you know it was revealed to us, and and then when it was revealed to us, like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense, and it's it's rare that 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 I bump into that sort of thing anymore, you know? Right. Yeah that 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 one kind of um got me off guard too. But when it was revealed where where the the nightmares were coming from and the voices and mm. so forth, I just sort of assumed it was it was the author describing the effects of being in the underdark for so long, but that was not in fact the case. I found that interesting. So that was an interesting twist. Um, but then there was another twist at the very end of the book. What do we think about that twist? 
the twist with the uh, the rakshasa at the end. Yeah, with the the wayfinder turn or turning into a rakshasa. Yes, that seemed to me there. There's a larger story there that that uh, you know if I knew it would have made me think that that was really cool. But within the context of the book, it seemed like you know the author just needed one more thing to throw in at the end and decided to throw that in. Or he was setting up something on like the next novel or right. something. Or yeah. something in the in the in the game, right? Because right. there wasn't a lot of setup for that particular twist. That there was the one one part where the changeling told her that that guy's full of anger, mm-hmm. and that was it. You know, so so you kind of knew that you'd be seeing him coming back doing something. Well, and I don't, I don't know that I feel like I knew that character very well to the point that when it was revealed that it was Rakshasa, that like I felt like there was a big betrayal there. Because yeah, exactly. it's not like exactly. he, it's not like he was their good friend, and we got, we got to know him really well, and, and really liked him and cared about him, and then ah, turns out he's not really who he says he is. He was just some guy we kind of traveled with for a while, and then right. he di- and then he disappeared for a third of the book or more, and then suddenly he's he sh- makes a cameo in the last chapter, and ah, he's a bad guy. Well, he, he was only around for what two chapters? I mean, all, all he they, all he did was guide him through the desert. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, he, it's not like you can say that he was the big manipulator of this whole thing, because they came to him and asked for a ride. You know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That that, that twist didn't have the effect it could have had mm-hmm. because of exactly what you said. We we really we had no connection to that character. We mm-hmm. we really didn't even care about that character. I mean, oh, well, he's a rickshaw. Big deal. Mm-hmm. Well. And he was the one willing to. Be ex- find things expendable, right? To to get across mm. in the most the cheapest way possible. Sure. But I just sort of took that as part of his personality, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's even harder to to really connect when it's not like he's going out of his way <laughs> to oh, yeah. be a nice person or to help out. Because mm-hmm. he, he was going to leave people behind in the glass and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the changeling was another character from the first book. In fact, when you, when the first book opens, she's arresting that character and bringing yeah. him in. I sort of got that impression that he that that arrest happened mm-hmm. in the previous book. And, and so we have the, um, you know, a bunch of her enemies from the first book, but not the big one, the one that I really expected to see return. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's just being saved for later, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, usually, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't want to have the same big bad villain uh, two books in a row. You you have another book in between to let things sort of settle out. Especially when it's not built as a trilogy, I guess. Right. Okay, anything else to tell you about the book? Lots of female characters. Lots of female characters? Uh, Who do we we have? We had Sabira. We had Tilda. So the hero and the villain. Yeah. Sabira and Tilda. I thought there were a few more, but... Were there any others? One of the, um, you know, I'll join your party for two chapters and die characters. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the Warforged are all androgynous, so they, you know, right. however you want to call them. But I think, I think for me, it's also just, it's, even though I don't always necessarily like the relationships between those characters, exploring them and talking about them a bit, I liked. The female characters? Yeah, and, and like the, um, Sabira feeling bad about Ned's death, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I like the thing about the necklace. Mm-hmm. Breaking up, being able to break off the necklace to, to, uh, it was supposed to call her brother, but yeah, send a message, send a message home that something's gone wrong. Yeah, and then her feeling like she has to fulfill it because mm-hmm. 
of the feeling about how Ned died. Mm-hmm. But but it was it wasn't just about that. It was also about trying to make herself worthy of. Um, right. What was his name? Elix. That doesn't sound right. E- Elix. Is yeah, it Elix? Elix? Okay. No end. Yeah, Elix. Yeah. So it's like the guy from from Voyager, but not quite. Yeah. Right. Okay. So he, he's an end short. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it was it was partially about her trying to be be worthy of, of Elix, which is actually kind of a reverse gender role um, mm-hmm. story, right? I'll, I'll, it's not that's not an atypical story, but usually it's it's the man trying mm-hmm. to to be worthy of of the woman. Right. Uh, I, I can be kind of dense about these things, so so I, I'd really like to hear um Tracy's uh, going a little bit more into this because um you know was it. You know, would this have been any different if the characters were male instead of female? I, I'm... I well, so for me, part of it is that it's it was nice to read a book where it wouldn't necessarily have been a ton different. That the, these like Sabira is just a sentinel marshal character. Uh, she has many of the same motivations that that uh, that we typically think of men having, like the whole wanting to prove herself worthy. Mm-hmm. That that I know I have and many women I know have, but we hardly ever see those in, in the books as much. Okay. Uh, yeah, um, like I said, I can be dense on this stuff, but oh, um, no. you know, re- reading it and, and it's wonderful to have the female lead characters and it's, you know, you know, you read so many books with the male lead character and you're like, there's only 50% of the race, right? <laughs> right. But, um, you know, reading this one, I was like, well, you know, they could have been a male and it wouldn't have been much different. Mm-hmm. Right for me, anyway. Yeah. Although at the end, I felt like that last chapter with that fight with the Rakshasa, she sort of it sort of felt like she had gone into a very sort of stereotype uh, female role there. You know, it, it, it was all well, it was protective, and it was all about um, you know her great love, and it was all emotional um, based. You know, the, um, I felt like it, it fell into a more stereo stereotypical approach than I'd seen from Sabira in the rest of the book. Right. Yeah, I can see that. She got girly at the end. Well, and, and, and maybe it was, and, and now that, now that we're talking about it, maybe it wasn't getting girly. Maybe it was, um, the author depicting her as being chivalrous, you know, because mm-hmm. if you look at some of those old night tales and, and of chivalry and, and what have you, there's very much that sort of approach as well. And that, that's how I read it. So. Is that she was getting all chivalrous. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and the thing is, like, I don't. I mean, in a, in a world where there's more gender equality, I don't think you're necessarily going to have a. The stories don't have to have a lot of difference, uh, other than the fact that there were some times where it felt like they were that Tilda and Sabira, one or the other, was looking at the other as the rival sort of thing that we kind of stereotypically have but they kind of got past that and well, i knew the and, other and, thing and, that had that, to be female but that, characters but that oh, could have that could have been an identical story if they were both guys there, right. there can still be a little issue. differently but not not too much like maybe i mean it, it, the, the interaction at times did feel a little bit like um some catty girls in the middle mm. of a, in the middle of a cat fight you know yeah so but i think but, the other thing is that they had to be women for the drow connection Oh right, sure. Because yeah. of the matriarchal society, yeah. I didn't even think so, about that. Yeah, and, and that could be part of my problem reading these too. Is that in the world that exists between my ears, that everything, the equality is you'd be stunned by the level of equality that's <laughs> in there. It just doesn't match up with the real world. Right. I I, I have a hard time understanding the the inequality that exists. So sure. 
No, and, and honestly, uh, we've read a lot of uh, books lately with more uh, female protagonists. Um, and I find it, and, and female authors, and I find that uh, it makes no difference at all to me as a reader, one, yeah. one way or the other. Yeah, for me, it's just being able to see some female characters, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be all of them, and we can read lots of books with male characters, well, too. And I feel I, I relate personally to characters of either gender. Uh, it has more to do with them as individuals and less to do with their genders. Right. Exactly. So. All right. Should we wrap this conversation up and go talk to Marcy? Sure. All right. That can be done. And we are here now with Marcella Rockwell, the author of Skin of Shadows. Welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to be with you. It's actually Marcella, though. Marcella. Oh, darn it. Marcella Rockwell. I knew I should have asked ahead of time. And I probably mispronounced it in the introduction, too. That's okay. And you can actually just call me Marcy. Marcy. It's hard to mess that one up. Yes, I got Marcy down. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we read uh, Skeen of Shadows in the last couple of months, and... Uh, you you obviously worked on this uh, wrote this book what probably uh, a year or so ago I imagine. Yeah, it was about that. Uh, it, it, as concrete or esoteric as you want to be, what is this book about? Um, well, first of all, it's uh, important to note that it, it is a tie-in novel. It ties into the Dungeons and Dragons online game. Um, and there have been some pretty big changes in the game over the past year. Uh, it. The game has, in the past, been confined to the Eberron campaign setting for D&D. And in this past year, uh, they just rolled out plans to open it up to the Forgotten Realms as well. So there's a there's been a huge event going on in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, a lot of uh, uh, novels tying into the event that allowed the opening of this portal between the two worlds. Um, so um, my book is the one that's on the Eberron side of those events. Um, other authors, Forgotten Realms authors, are dealing with what happens on, on that side of the fence. So um, it's a D&D novel, a D&D online novel, and an Eberron novel. Um, beyond that, it's sort of a uh, kind of your, your classic dungeon crawl, really. Um, one of the the things that uh, players of the D&D online game really uh, enjoy doing is is pickup groups where you go online and find other people who are on at the same time and you go and run quests together. Uh, My first book, uh, my first uh, DDO book, which was the Shard Axe, uh, I didn't really take advantage of that dynamic. It was just the main character and her partner um, going through the setting and uh, doing their thing. But in this novel, Skein of Shadows, uh, I've taken that same uh, main character, Sabira, and I've you know, given her a few more companions, so it's more your classic uh, D&D group uh, on a quest to uh, find an artifact, which turns out to not be exactly what they were expecting it to be. And you can sort of track the, um, the flow of the book as, as the party gets larger and larger. <laughs> and, and then it sort of hits an apex, and then it starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, almost back down to where it started. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I've had um, people uh, compare it to uh, Seven Samurai, so I actually haven't uh, seen that movie, so I'm not sure if that's a favorable comparison or not. <laughs> but I've gotten that more than once. So, 
I don't know if that if that helps your audience at all. <laughs> yeah, one one thing I really liked about it too is even though it did have a lot of that traditional dungeon crawl to it, it also explored uh, some of the culture of the area. For instance, in particular, I'm thinking about the time when they found the Warforged and and who was about to undergo some vigilante justice. <laughs> um, yeah, the Warforged are, are very uh, a, a very interesting part of the Ebron setting. Um, they're basically living constructs that... Uh, in the past were assumed to be, you know, just uh, extensions of their owner's will. I mean, they were they were property. Uh, right. And it was only recently at the end of the last war that they were given their freedom, so to speak. And, you know, a lot of people still can consider them to be, you know, just soulless machines. But there's, uh, you can play them in the game. Uh, as be a player character as a warforged, so obviously, you know, there's that dynamic in the setting, uh, which is pretty analogous to you know civil rights issues that we've had in our own country. So um, it was, it was uh, interesting and, and kind of fun to be able to deal with that in a fantasy setting. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really like that, and then still being able to get all the the traditional, uh, you know, tropes of, of fantasy too, or like or the dungeon crawl sort of thing and things like that. Now you mentioned that this is the um, your second book with this same main character of of Sabira. Yes. And and some of the at least the impression I got I, I haven't read the previous book but I've read this one and the impression I got was that there's uh, many storylines that sort of or threads that carry over from the previous book into this one. Um, yeah, there are a few. There are some. Uh characters that showed up in the first book that that uh, you thought were dealt with in that book and you discover in this one that they weren't quite. Um, there's also sort of an overriding character arc between the two books. Um, in the first book, The Shard Axe, uh, Sabira is, you know, ha- is dealing with uh, the death of her partner, which happened eight years prior to the beginning of that book. Um, and you know, she blames herself for that, and and her her guilt has sent her down a very dark path. So the Shardax begins where she's just starting to find her way out of that pit, so to speak. Um, and she gets to a good spot at the end of the Shardax, but she still has a ways to go. So uh, the Skein of Shadows kind of continues that arc. Um, you don't have to have read the Shardax to enjoy Skein of Shadows, obviously, uh, since you didn't. But, you know, it does give you a little bit uh, more insight into her character and, you know, some of the other characters that appear. So you certainly you know, enjoy it more, but you don't have to, to read the first one to enjoy the second one. I have, like, more pointed questions if you have more general no, no. stuff. No, go ahead. So it's one of the ones that I... Did you come up with the bracelet thing as the, the way to signify engagement or anything? And I was wondering why a bracelet? And um, I did, actually. Um, there is no, you know, uh, set ritual for betrothal or, betrothal or um, marriage. Uh, there's a couple different religions in the setting so you know obviously they each have their own little thing and it's one of those uh, it's one of those things that isn't really detailed too much in 
the rule books for the pen and paper setting. Right. Um, I did. Uh, one of my fellow Eberron authors, uh, Jeff Lasala, had uh, worked on um, a book that ultimately wound up getting canceled, and and that was one of the things that occurred in his book. Um, there was a wedding, and they exchanged bracelets. So. Oh, nice. Uh, well. You know, even though nobody else got to see that book, <laughs> I thought it would be nice to, to, you know, incorporate that little aspect of it and something a little bit different. You know, we're mm-hmm. all used to rings. You know, it doesn't have to be rings. Why not make it be something else? Could be knives, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, and that's, that brings up an interesting point. One of the the things that is, is um, different about Eberron books compared to other settings is that uh, nothing is sort of considered canon. Uh, you know, any Eberron book can tell its own story and not worry about interfering with what goes on in, in another book. Uh, however, you're tied into both uh, a video game and, and what's going on in that setting, and you're tied into this Rise of the Underdark um, event that's going on across Dungeons and Dragons in the last, uh, well, in the, the second half of this year or so. Um, how, how is it, what's it like sort of integrating all of these different things into your, into your writing and how does it change the kind of story that you tell? Well, um, as far as the whole Rise of the Underdark, um, event, again, most of that is happening in the Forgotten Realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have to worry about that aspect of it too much. Um, there are a few things that, that kind of carry over into my book, but they're very subtle. So if you are not a Forgotten Realm, Realms fan at all, never read the books or anything, you know, A, you're not going to pick up on them, and B, they're not going to bother you. Uh, hopefully if you, um, you know, hopefully if you do follow that setting, you might be able to pick up a little subtle hint there, say, hmm... I think that I know what sort of character that is she's describing. Or, mm-hmm. You know, um, as far as uh, canon, um, yeah, the, the novels really haven't been considered to be canon before. Um, the, the strictly Eberron novels that tie into the uh, the tabletop game, um, but the ones that tie into DDO, obviously, they have to be consistent with the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, DBO has three million players, and you know they they can be very vocal. So uh, <laughs> there was a an interesting thing in the first book. Um, I had described uh, Sibira sitting in a tavern, and uh, the taverns in the DBO games don't have you know nice convenient mirrors for you to be able to see what's happening behind you. So to get around that, I. Uh, mentioned that she saw a reflection in the bottles on the back of the bar. And the copy editor actually changed it to add a mirror in. And I was a little irate about that. I'm like, look, <laughs> this isn't just some you know, setting, some inn or tavern that I'm making up myself. Players can actually walk into this tavern, go over right exactly where she was sitting, and see for themselves that there is no mirror there. So mm. please don't add one in. <laughs> right. You know, so that's, uh, you know, you have those kind of constraints. I spent a lot of time in-game just walking around, taking screenshots and talking to uh, different NPCs to get bits of dialogue. And 
So people always, you know, want me to join them on their quests and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not really playing the game. <laughs> I, for no, no, I'm looking at taverns today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's really cool, though. So you play the game, too, like in your own way uh, to help your to help with the novels and everything because you have to have it uh, match, right? That's really awesome. Yeah, and I, actually, um, when I... Uh, started out I was um, a very low level so um, I had to reach out to the, the DVO community and ask players who were you know had, had been playing the game a lot longer than I had to get me screenshots of areas that I wasn't high enough level to go into yet <laughs> as I was writing you know Sabira is kind of I figure her about eighth level or whatever so there were a lot of things that she would be able to do and see in the game world that, that I couldn't yet. So uh, I was uh, very fortunate to have some some DDO players who were willing to help me out with that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I'm curious if um, are there are there elements uh, that we're seeing in the story of Skin of Shadows that is less about. sort of telling that story and more about setting up stories in the game I mean are you working hand in hand with what they're doing Um, or is it all just sort of you're telling your own self-contained story it just happens to be in the setting Um, that that was sort of more true with the first book uh, that we were just telling parallel stories Um, this one was supposed to be more hand in hand but uh, there's several layers of bureaucracy bureaucracy, sorry, I can never say that word right, (laughs) red tape, there we go, Um, where just dealing with, you know, writing for any any, uh, property, Uh, Wizards of the Coast, Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever, there's there's a lot of other people involved than just uh, the author and the editor. Uh, Then when you add in another entity like Turbine, um, which has the, the license for DVO, then there's, there's just a lot of opportunities for uh, communication to, to not be what it should and for things to get missed. So uh, though we had intended for it to be a little more hand-in-hand this time around, it, it didn't quite work out that way. So this book, uh, Skein of Shadows, is uh, more sort of a, a prologue to... Uh, the events that opened the portal between Eberron and the Forgotten Realms, as opposed to, you know, being part of that actual event, which is is kind of what we had originally intended, but didn't work out that mm-hmm. way. So, so are there things then that you, since it's sort of a prologue, are there things that you were that you set up that become important in the game story? Um, there were things I set up that were supposed to become okay. important in the story. Sure. Um, but it, like I said, it just it didn't quite sure. uh, pan out that way. So does that mean if it hadn't been tied to this to the game, you might have told the story a little bit differently? Are there things that that you would have done differently? Um, yeah, actually, I was uh, contracted to write two books, um, and we didn't really know what they were going to be. But uh, there, there were always going to be two books, um, and I actually had sort of a different storyline that I wanted to pursue for the second book um, but then the whole Rise of the Underdark thing and the opening of the portal was decided on by the powers that be and so they wanted me to you know, incorporate uh, Tarath Marad 
which is a big um, part of the, the uh, DDO game setting now. You can actually go in there yourself and mm-hmm. walk around in there and kill things and draw priestesses and, and all of that. So I wasn't originally um, intending uh, on doing any of that, but you know, I write what they tell me to. Well, so. sure. <laughs> Um, the only question I, I can think of uh, has to do with the female characters because one person commented that they felt that the gender wasn't as important with most of the characters like you probably could easily interchange the, char- the genders and I was just wondering how you felt about that and if that was done on purpose or I don't know how to frame it exactly but um, you mean first game of shadow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah, Skin of Shadows. Yeah, I haven't really, um, I, I, I haven't seen that comment, so I, I don't know, you know, what in specific the commenter might have been referring to. Um, I think Sabira has to be a woman. I, <laughs> I think you can't get around that. Um, Gredark, who was uh, introduced as, as her main partner in this book, is actually a character from my first Eberron book, Legacy of Wolves. Mm. Okay. Um, so that kind of makes a Legacy of Wolves an unofficial prequel to this mm-hmm. book. So, uh, Great. People should pick that one up if they haven't already. <laughs> um, so, I mean, his gender was already set. Um, a large por- portion of the group are Warforged, which um, they sort of hand- have gender, but, you know, sort of not. It's more a cosmetic thing as opposed to anything that affects their characterization. So, I mean, yeah, they, they could be interchangeable, I suppose. Um, some of the other characters are actual NPCs in the game. Um, mm-hmm. So, that, that I took and played with mm-hmm. for a while and then had to put them back on the shelf. So, I, I couldn't, you know, I had no say in their gender. Um, and, uh, and the other the other female character in or main female character in the book she uh, was mentioned in the first book so right. obviously her her gender couldn't wasn't something that could be easily switched out so I'm not I'm not really sure other than the warforged yeah I think you know. I think part, a lot of it was just um, because the story seemed like the story wasn't that much different other than uh, potentially uh, fulfilling the prophecy and and working and being part of the drought thing, uh, it didn't feel like it, it was overly important to me. I thought it just like that's part of the point. Like a lot of times, I feel there isn't that much difference in like how what people want or need out of life. Depend. Uh, but I'm not sure how exactly to put it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I mean, I. I guess I don't know really how to address that. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, I wasn't trying to necessarily make every man characters like Mary Sue Pants characters. <laughs> um, you know, they they were other than the NPCs that I I couldn't affect. They were already right. fully there in my mind as as yeah. who they were and what gender they were. So. It almost sounds to me like you focused more on who they were individually rather than focusing on on gender issues at all. Right. Yeah, that- yeah, I, w- I would say that's a, a fair assessment. Sure. Right. 
so. And uh, although, um, in terms of Sabira's character, anyway, I think there there may be more of those gender issues in the first book, um, the Shardax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the time you get to this book, hopefully some of those things have been resolved so they don't show right. up as much in this one. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, you know the person... Uh, you know him better than I do, but I think part of it was uh, seeing that she had uh, Sabira had a lot of the same uh, worries about getting married. Like, am I good enough for this guy? That I kind of have to prove myself. That I feel like a lot of men have when they approach marriage. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was a little interesting to see that insight that you know a fair number of women also kind of worry about those things. The same thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, my husband and I uh, actually joke sometimes that I'm. I'm a little bit more masculine in some things that he is. Like when we're, when something is, you know, one of us is having a problem or something, uh, I'm not the one who just wants to let my feelings out and talk about it. I'm the one who wants a solution. Right. <laughs> you know, which is usually typically the guy's role. They, mm-hmm. they want to fix it as opposed to just listening. I want to fix it as opposed to just listening. So probably part of that is my own personality coming through. Right. The sure. character. Very good. So uh, the things that were that were set up here, you introduced a lot of characters, and then we lost most of them along the way. Although most of the ones we lost, we don't have a definitive answer as to what what happened to him um, at this point. Uh, is there thoughts for for what's coming next, and whether or not we might see some of those characters again? Um, well, I'm actually not contracted to do uh, any more books right now. Kind of depends on on how well mm-hmm. these ones do. Um, some of those characters that, that went off screen were NPCs that, that had to go back to where they were so mm. uh, players could find them in the game. Others, um, uh, the, the sort of uh, ambiguity with how they left the party was intended because, you know, in real life people do drop out of our circle and we don't always know what happened to them and it's always something that we wonder about and I kind of picks at us at the back of our head, whatever happened to that person, I'm, you know, I wonder if they're okay, that sort of thing, so. But very few of them were swallowed by leviathans. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know if this one was either. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> so, I mean, that was intentional. My beta readers, in fact, kept uh, saying that they, they kept expecting that character to return, hmm. so, uh, and, and maybe that character will in another book if there is another book mm-hmm. I mean I, f- I feel like there was a, an arc for se- several of these characters and this, these, some of these as a group um, that could still be told yeah definitely um, you know I wanted to give myself the option to, to branch out you know maybe maybe Sabira's story is at a good stopping point for now but you know some of the other ones had, had some interesting mm-hmm. tales left in them um but again, all that, all that depends on the readers. You know, they have to, to like the books and buy them, and and not pirate them. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I, yeah. You were gonna say something, Tracy? I said I bought it. Oh yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah it's, yeah, it's really um, very sad to to see. You know, you have most of authors have Google alerts for the titles of their books and click on them and see the pirate sites that have them and have 10,000 downloads and think mm. about, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> That's a lot of sales. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of royalties that, that I'm not getting, so... <laughs> sure. You know, I, I would encourage people, though, I know a lot of times they think that, that that's harmless, that it doesn't hurt anybody, um, but the fact of the matter is, if you pirate a book, you are affecting the author's sure. sales figures, number one, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, authors specifically make their money partially based off of sales, right? So that's a pretty big deal. Right. Yeah. Right, we make our, our money based off of royalties. I mean, we get it paid in advance, but we have to earn back that advance, and mm-hmm. then any you know money over that comes from royalties. Uh, the other thing, which is actually a, a bigger issue, is sales figures. You know, every illegal download is a sales figure that doesn't show up for the publisher, so they think that people don't like the book, and so they're not going to contract you to write any more books. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people who uh, pirate books from their favorite authors are actually shooting themselves in the foot because, you know, they're making it less likely that that author is going to be able to write more books in the future. Sure. Well, we will provide links in the show notes to this episode so people can go straight to Amazon and and buy it. And then then you get a cut and then I get a cut, too. There you go. (laughs) It's a win-win. Help the show and help the author. Oh, and um, speaking of uh, availability, um, the books aren't currently available uh, outside of the U.S., but Wizards of the Coast has finally worked out their distribution issues with Random House, and Mm. so all of their books are going to be available at, like, uh, Amazon UK uh, probably over the next several months. Oh, that's good. Oh, nice. Yeah, so people who, you know, are, are out of the country... Please don't pirate it. Just be a little more patient. Yeah. Just a little <laughs> while longer. You'll get them all. Yes. That's exactly. awesome news. That's a, that, I mean, there's a big audience overseas that I'm yeah. sure would love to be able to get access to those things. Oh, yeah. I, I hear from them quite frequently. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, anything else you want to, uh, you want to say before we go? Um, well, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Um, if your readers haven't picked up the Shard X, I, I hope they do that. And, and Legacy of Wolves also. They're, they're, uh, the Shard X and Legacy of Wolves are, are out of print, but they're both available as ebooks. So, mm-hmm. you know, And if they've read Skein of Shadow, then they obviously have an e-reader of some sort. Mm-hmm. And it's just a quick click to get those other two books. You bet. It's the only way I read anymore. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. All right, and that is the end of this book club episode. I want to thank our sponsor, Continue Magazine, as well as Marcella Rockwell, the author of the book, for talking to us, and Andy Meyer, uh, who is A.W. Meyer on Twitter. Anywhere else, Pete, you want people to find you? Uh, that's it for now. I have a .com now, but I haven't done anything with it yet. Right. Uh, com if you want to look at my old writing. And Meyer is M-Y-H-R. That is correct. And if you'd like to contact us with any uh, questions or comments about the show, feel free to email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call us on the biz line. That's 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you can find show notes for the show at thetomeshow.com. And that has been our episode for Skeen of Shadows for the Tome Show Book Club. Join us next time as we uh, find out how to be expert game designers with the complete Kobold Guide to Game Design, pages 1 through 118. I'm off the wall.